Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. And I greet you with our traditional greeting with a little greater emphasis today, and especially in the word light, light of the East, because today in the church, East and West, wow, what a glorious day, what a radiant day. It is a day of light, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Of course, I'm quoting from the character of Simeon in Luke's gospel. Today is the feast of the presentation of our Lord in the temple, or as we say in the Eastern churches, the encounter of our Lord with Simeon. And this is a feast that actually brings to a close the season of light, of illumination, of incarnation. That's right. What began at Christmas time. That's right. We're still doing the Christmas thing. But, and here's the wonderful thing, fascinating thing about the church. As it moves through the cycles of Christ's life, it's a descending action, the feast days of descent, where he comes down to earth, he incarnates himself. That's what we've been doing the last couple months. Then there's the ascending rhythm. He'll actually, he'll descend all the way into hell after his death and break the bonds of Satan, the bonds of Hades, release the captives and rise up and take humanity with him and ascend to heaven and mount humanity on the throne of heaven with him. But what happens is it's something like a, well, for me, it's like a baton race. You ever seen the baton races, especially in the Olympics? There's forerunners, and they have to run these laps around the track, you know, racing their opponents, and they have to pass the baton to each runner in that process. And the whole art, the whole critical part of this particular event is in the passing of the baton. That's where we get that word, the passing of the baton. There's a real art to that. Because what happens is the runner who has the baton has to, as he's passing it to the next runner, has to stay with that next runner because that next runner, before the baton gets to him, he has to already take off and start running so that it's not like he's waiting and then he grabs the baton and runs. They keep the process going. They keep the momentum, the speed going. So the guy with the baton has to keep running fast, even though he's coming to the end of his laps, he has to 
run real fast and keep up with the guy in front of him who's already taking off and hand that baton to him successfully. And sometimes you see that there's a misstep there. They drop the baton. So it's something like that right now. We have the passing of the baton, which means there's an overlap here. The feast days of the incarnation, the illumination, the, the time of light are now overlapping, like they're going to pass the baton onto the days of the ascending rhythm, Christ, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And so there's an overlap here because we're about to begin the season of Lent. We've already had in the Eastern churches some of the preparatory Sundays leading up to Lent, while at the same time, we were still in the season of Christmas, of the Incarnation. So there's a wonderful overlap here, passing of the baton. Now, in this feast day, this beautiful day and feast day of light, we have actually multiple layers, as we often do. And like many events in the life of our Lord, this presentation, the event of his presentation in the temple 40 days after his birth, has these several meanings. First, it was the purification of the Virgin Mary. This is how it's known largely in the Latin rite, the purification of the Virgin Mary. In the Eastern rite, it's largely an event of Christ, but along with Mary. So first, it was the purification of the Virgin Mary required by the Old Testament law for every mother who gave birth to a child. See, what, what would happen, and you can read about this in the book of Leviticus, Exodus, and Numbers, several passages there from the Old Testament. When a woman was giving birth, she had to remain unclean for seven days. On the eighth day, if it was a boy, he was circumcised. Then she had to remain unclean for the next 33 days, which would then total to 40 days. Always at number 40, the scripture is important. So the Virgin Mary, though, actually did not have to undergo this ritual because she was the purest of all persons. But she chose to do it just as Christ chose to submit to the very laws that he himself made because he was God. So already we have this continuation of the self-emptying, the humbling of Christ, but also we're seeing the humbling of the Virgin Mary, who did not need to be purified because she was the purest of all. But she submitted to the laws anyway. The second thing is, this event of the presentation of Christ in temple, or the encounter with Simeon, was the redemption of Jesus as the firstborn son, which again was according to the Old Testament law. See, every firstborn son was considered as belonging to God and had to be brought back by the parents with an offering. This is why the feast is also called the presentation of our Lord in the temple. So the parents had to bring an offering to the temple. There was, in a sense, almost like ransoming back their son because he first belonged to God if he was the firstborn son. Now, thirdly, it was Christ's encounter with the aged Simeon and the prophetess Anna, both of whom waited all their lives the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, the Latin rite emphasizes this feast as the purification of the Virgin Mary, and the Byzantine churches emphasize the encounter of Christ with Simeon. In the Old Testament, it was the law that, as I mentioned, when a woman gave birth to a boy, she had to enter a period of ritual purification for a total of 40 days. Now, at the end of the 40 days, the mother brought the child to the temple along with a lamb or a holocaust sacrifice, an eternal dove for a sin offering. If the family was poor, they could bring instead just two turtle doves and two pigeons. The feast, the encounter of our Lord with Simeon, brings to a close, as I mentioned, what began on December 25th. Now, the liturgical texts of the Byzantine Church contrast the mystery of Simeon and Jesus. For example, it says of Simeon that while remaining young in spirit, you became old in body, O Simeon. Then in contrast to that, the texts say of Jesus, he who was ancient of days is young in the flesh. You notice that? An interesting kind of play, a parallel, a contrast, a paradox between the two. The Byzantine liturgical texts are very clever with that. 
and they say many amazing things relative to this feast because it's really an amazing feast. It says here, for example, in making a reference to the event in the prophet Isaiah chapter 6, the text referred to the Virgin Mary as the tongs that carry the burning coal, meaning Jesus. See, what happened was when Isaiah was called, when God said, who will speak for me? He said, I will, I will, but I am a man of unclean lips. And so an angel came, took an ember from the altar for the sacrifice, a burning ember with tongs, and and touched Isaiah's lips with it, his mouth, saying that this has touched your lips and you are now purified. So the liturgical texts make a reference to that only in light of the Virgin Mary, that the tongs were really her, and she carries the burning coal of Jesus. Now, as the Virgin Mary carried turtle doves into the temple for her offering, the liturgical texts say that she herself was the pure dove who carried the lamb and shepherd into the temple. So you see that little play again? The offering that you brought was a lamb and turtle doves, but now what they're saying is that that was, in a sense, a foreshadowing because the real lamb is, of course, Jesus that the Virgin Mary brings, and she herself was the pure dove. In this feast of our Lord's encounter or presentation or purification, whichever level you want to look at it on, we have the full flowering of a resplendent season, an example of the virtue of humility in what Jesus Christ did for us and the way that we are to respond to his immeasurable self-giving love. So one of the reasons that the Eastern churches emphasize Simeon, and you can see this in the icon, is he's receiving Christ in his hands. He's bowing down, not just because he's bending over because it's a little baby's picking up, but he's actually bowing in deference to Christ. He knows that he has in his arms, imagine, he knows he has the Messiah. He has God in his arms. And he says that beautiful hymn, now you may dismiss your servant, Lord, because my eyes have seen. In other words, there's nothing else for him to live for. He waited all his life. And so did someone else who comes into the picture, kind of in the background. Her name is Anna, the prophetess Anna. She waited all her life, and she was an elderly woman living in the temple. She waited all her life to see the Messiah, and both of them did. And then they were willing to then pass on. There was nothing else to live for. I mean, let's face it, you've got God in your hands. What else are you waiting for in this earth? You want to be with that God. So Simeon models for us that humility, as does Christ, as the Virgin Mary. So you see the theme here, the lesson for us, and this is why we celebrate these feast days, because there's a real relevancy for us. It's meant to form us. Just as we call this the encounter of our Lord with Simeon, we are to encounter Christ in this feast day. Our spirituality is really strong in the emphasis of encountering or immersing. These aren't just historical events. These are things that are our event. We are encountering Christ through the event, celebrated liturgically, through the event of Christ encountering Simeon in the temple when he was only 40 days old. And so that is to change us as it did to Simeon. It transformed him. He could see now. That's what our faith is all about. That vision of seeing incarnationally as a person who sees sacramentally. You see the presence of God. You behold the presence of God all the time in the very hands of our lives, the very hands of our eyes, just as Simeon did. And nothing else should really matter to us. We have the truth right there. And we can take that truth not just in our hands. We take it into our very bodies. We go one better than Simeon. Imagine. We take this God, this Messiah, this Christ into our entire being, our entire body through the Eucharist. What else can we say but 
the words of Simeon. Now you may dismiss your servant, Lord, because my eyes have seen the light of revelation to the Gentiles. When we come back, we're going to talk more about encountering Christ. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyer, your host. As I mentioned, we're talking about the encounter of Christ. And we encounter Christ not only directly, as Simeon did, and we do so in the Eucharist, and in other ways too, but mostly in the Eucharist. But we also encounter Christ in other people, and especially those who are suffering. That's how we can then say, as Simeon did, now you may dismiss your sermon, Lord, because my eyes have seen. What have, what have our eyes seen? Our eyes have seen Jesus Christ in people who are suffering, who experience things that we can't imagine. Right here in this day and age, an airplane ride away. And to learn more about that, we have our special guest, a longtime good friend here of Light of the East, Juliana Tamarazzi from the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. Welcome, Juliana. Once again, it's been too long. It has been. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to see you. And you're still around doing your work, which is very Christian, and because it is very Christian, it also is very risky, because you are working in an area that, of course, we hear about in the news an awful lot, that has lots of turmoil, a lot of suffering, lots of violence and hostility, and it's very volatile, but you're right there. You're right there in the thick of it. You're right at the heart of it, in the, in the front lines, in the trenches of, of humanity, of people. So tell us a little bit about what you do with the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. Uh, we raise awareness, we ask for prayers, and we deliver the funds that we raise for the basic necessities of the individuals who have been persecuted at first uh, in the hands of Al-Qaeda and then in the hands of ISIS. Inside Iraq, and also we take care of those who have fled Iraq uh, as refugees who live in Turkey, Lebanon, and Jordan. And these are families that were, well, like anybody else, right? They were Some of them were professional people and so on, and they just lost their homes and careers, right? Overnight, overnight, uh, church bells rang and informed the people that ISIS was coming. Uh, these are doctors, lawyers, engineers, farm owners. When I was in Iraq, mm. Father, um, I met this man. Back then he was living in a camp. It was in 2016 when I met him, this particular man. He had eight farms that he had lost. He said, look, I'm living in a shipping container today but I have lost everything uh, to ISIS overnight. And um, that story is not unique. There were countless of people that we encountered who had lost everything. And how many refugees are there? In uh, those three countries, there are about 45,000 Iraqi Christians. So this is still going on. Some of them have been a refugee for a long time, right? 
Yes, some of them have uh, been refugees since the time of Al-Qaeda, when Al-Qaeda found its safe haven in 2003 with the intervention of the U.S. in Iraq. Mm -hmm. Some of them have been living there trying to get out of Jordan. In this case, it's Jordan uh, to be resettled to the West. Uh, But uh, they haven't been able to find an avenue or UNHCR, which is United Nations Higher Commission on Refugees. Have uh, have blocked their way out of Jordan. And a lot of these people are Christians, right? All of them are. All of them are Christians. And so, tell me about the situation right now in those countries. You know, we we hear a lot about what's going on there, but you never know what really is going on and what what news source is really accurate and so on. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the background and what's going. on. Help us sort it out. Like, who's the good guys? Who's not? Who's who's doing what? Who's who do we? How do we sort this out? Such a big question, (laughs) Father Tom. So let's take Iraq. Uh, Unfortunately, Iran has found its influence inside Iraq. In fact, there was a cleric who, uh, on a Friday prayer, uh, during the prayer, he said, why are you continuously speak of Iraq, Syria, Lebanon? That's Those are all Iran. These mm. countries have fallen under our control. So they, he has, really? and Iranians have, the Iranian Islamic Republic has an expansionist ideology. Uh, they call it the Crescent. Yes. And uh, so with Iranian influence inside Iraq, this poses a lot of danger, not just for the Assyrian Christians of Iraq, but for all of Iraqis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see uh, on uh, October 1st, there was an uproar that began en masse. There have been protests in Iraq for the last year and a half or so, but mm-hmm. they've been squashed. But the big one, which still continues till today, began on October 1st. Believe me, Father, we've seen horrific images and videos of people getting gunned down by Iranian snipers, mm. by Shiite snipers that are there. And the, the people that rose on their feet against corruption and against um, uh, lack of education or lack of basic necessities are Shiite themselves in Iraq. These are Arab Shiites that stood, uh, that are standing against corruption and Iranian infiltration inside Iraq. Iran has also uh, a lot of influence in Syria, and it has Hezbollah that is operating in Lebanon, endangering Israel every day, Mm -hmm. and supports Hamas. So um, I believe one of the main uh, factors that can bring some sort of a peace inside the region is removal of the Islamic Republic of Iran. Mm -hmm. And um, since 2009, uh, which was the famous Green Revolution, but Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, President Obama and the United States did not support that people's revolution. Um, There have been in pockets also some people that have risen. But uh, in December, in November and December of last year, 2019, um, protests began becoming more, um, more intense. Mm -hmm. And over 1500 people were killed Hmm. by the Iranian government. And the saddest part is uh, that uh, the mourners were not allowed to mourn, they were not allowed to publicly show that they were burying their children. And a lot of mourners have been arrested by the Islamic Republic of Iran. This this whole effort by Iran, is this a uh, Sunni versus Shiite thing, or is it just secular power? What is it? What's it's motivating It's not secular Iran? power. No, they're, they're actually very much not secular. They want to expand Iranian influence across um, the region. Uh, In 1979, Khomeini said, I will make sure that my revolution will be delivered to four corners of the world. And he has done so. Mm. Um, And uh, they are their number one exporters of terror. Um, So it is, they're not secular, they're very much Islamic. They very much want to Islamify 
unify the world. Mm -hmm. They very much want to uh, bring Sharia law to anywhere they can. And of course, it's about um, power and money. They want Mm -hmm. to control oil of Iraq and resources of the other countries. And they want to destroy Israel. Uh, People of Iran are pro-Israel. I was born and raised in Iran, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ma- being Iranian people being so tired of their uh, tyranny, the mm-hmm. tyrannical uh, regime that is ruling them, and they're so not against Israel that um, when the when the floor, the ground in Iran, m- mainly in the schools and in public buildings, they've painted the Israeli flag and the American flag. They mm. did that back in the 1980s really? when I was there. And it would force us to walk on those, basically disrespecting the two countries. And I would tippy-toe around them. I would try not to walk mm. on them. I see that today. There have been multiple videos that have come out that people refuse to walk on the mm. two flags. In fact, one of the videos, I have a lot of sources that I work with inside Iran. One of the sources sent sent me a video that they started booing two men walking on the Israeli flag. Mm. People around them started booing them and chasing them away. So the Iranian people are like this. Iranian people are pro-America and pro-Iran, majority. Uh, but the government is not, obviously. Isn't it interesting how you never hear that? You hear they always present things with a broad brush. You know, Iranians. So, they, so we have this idea that all the all of Iran hates us, all the people, all that. But that's not true. That is not the case. In fact, uh, when Soleimani was killed by the U.S. Uh, government, um, they went. The, the government officials went door to door. Their militia went door to door forcing people to come out in protest against this act of uh, U.S. and mm-hmm. to bury Soleimani. Uh, so the mass numbers that you saw on television, it wasn't because majority of them did not want to go, but they were forced to go. Yeah, I was wondering about that because all these people out there, I wonder if that was just uh, fake or for real or what. You know. Well, tell us about what we can do, what you are doing for all these poor people. We can go on and on uh, if we had a lot of time about really what's behind all this, you know, the, the geopolitical situations and so on. But the main point here is helping people, especially fellow Christians. And tell me what you're doing and what we can do, what listeners can do, and where, where can they go to help? Uh, we have been serving the Christians of Iraq since 2007. And uh, today we continue our focus on this. Uh, There is a program, Father Tom, that uh, we have started. We're starting as of February 1. It's called Adopt a Christian Refugee Program, where people can donate towards a refugee family. um, And uh, the money will go directly to them. Uh, They can either specifically adopt a family. We have a list of these families. Or uh, they can just give to the pool um, that we have, and then we will designate where this money goes. I'll tell you, on average, about $100 a month feeds a family of five hmm. uh, in Iraq, in um, Lebanon, in Jordan, and in Turkey. On average, about $100. On average, as far as rent is concerned, which these people don't have really the money to pay for rent or medication, rent is approximately about 250 American dollars, US dollars. So people can donate $5 on a monthly basis. People can donate $250 on a monthly basis Mm -hmm. to really help alleviate the suffering of these individuals. Why do we do this? Because Father, these people are not able to work. They're forbidden to work in these countries. That's hard to imagine. And, and, you know, like, again, especially like you said, some of them were they were hard workers, they had businesses, they were professionals, and you have nothing. You know, that's hard for any anyone here in America. Well, they lose their job, usually get another one or something. But, but this, there's just like no way out for them. So where can they go to uh, do this charity? Our website is Iraqi 
iraqichristianrelief.org, iraqichristianrelief.org. When you click on the donate button, you'll see um, there is a bucket that you can, there's a, an area that you can go to specifically to adopt a refugee. And listeners can be assured, because you often hear so much corruption about you know, charity groups and so like that, but they can be assured the money goes directly to the people. You have a very, very unbureaucratic structure. <laughs> the money doesn't go to pay high salaries or administration. It, whatever people donate it goes directly to the people, and you yourself have delivered it, right? Yes, on many occasions, because I'm in the region two, three times a year, I deliver it myself, um, but I have trusted partners on the ground. So individuals who to, uh, who adopt the families, for example, we put them in touch with these families. We mm. can do a conference call with them oh. on camera where you can really see the people that you're helping uh, live in front of you and you guys can have a conversation without the donor's info being public. Again, our guest today is a good friend of ours here at Lay of the East and a good friend of the church and of Christians, of humanity. Juliana Tamarazzi of the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. And once again, to help these people out through Juliana's organization, the website is? IraqiChristianRelief.org. Juliana, thank you for being here at Light of the East. And above all, thank you for all of your tireless, tireless self-giving and charity and concern for humanity, especially our persecuted brethren. God bless you. And you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Listeners to Catholic Radio, I think, benefit most, at least initially, from what I call remedial catechesis. What Catholic Radio does is it uh, becomes an echo chamber for the teaching authority of the Catholic Church. And what we're doing is teaching many things which uh, have been neglected over the last 40, 50 years. If you listen to Catholic Radio, you know what the Catholic Church teaches. Al Cresta thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!